Report. Okay, this is our weekly Bible study for, I believe it's the 1st of October, 2006, Sunday. Um, I got this uh, Battle Cry newsletter this week, and it had it had the first article. I, I was, I knew this, this is, the Bible said this is going to happen, but it's pretty amazing. And uh, it's entitled, Protestants Looking to the Virgin Mary Goddess. Now we got the Protestants. Okay, now, a true Bible-believing Christian, I do not classify them as a Protestant. Um, Protestants were, were typically the people that came out of the Protestant Reformation through, via Martin Luther, and they came out of the Catholic Church. So, there's a lot of leaven that's still in that lump, okay? And it's only getting worse, unfortunately. But this is what this is entitled, Protestants Looking to the Virgin Mary, Goddess, and it says, Move Over Jesus. It says, while mainline Protestant denominations abandon the belief that the Bible is God's perfect word, there's the first problem. See where it all begins? You abandon, the, 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 you, you start to question the word of God, just like Satan did to Eve in the Garden of Eden, and then everything else unravels from there. It's just a matter of time. That's why it's so important to be reading the right Bible. Um, when, they, when they abandon the belief of, of the Bible as God's perfect world, many errors begin to creep in. Recently, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Lutheran conventions spent much of their time discussing the role of homosexual leaders in their ranks. Appeals to the Bible truth by conservative members were ignored. Now, in other words, okay, we've, we've gotten false Bible versions, what's the next thing? Well, let's allow sodomites in. Let's, heck, let's allow them to be, to be priests, or cath or whatever. Well, most, it's a proven fact, uh, there's a very, very high percentage of Catholic priests that are sodomites. Anyway, okay? Because it's unnatural. It's not something God ever called them to do. Not, not, not the whole, not the whole lot of them, at least. I mean, sometimes God will call people to be celibate, and you, you can look at that in the Bible in the New Testament. But in this, in this case, this is a different thing we're talking about. Appeals to the Bible truth by conservative members were ignored, and denominational leaders were installed who were living as open sodomites and favoring homosexual marriage. Another issue is bigger than that one: the question of Mary's role in salvation. Last year, Time Magazine devoted several pages to the question of Mary for Protestants. Some pastors coming out of liberal seminaries are elevating the Roman Catholic Virgin Mary goddess by introducing statues and veneration of her. Now, I hadn't even heard about this. They are buying into the Catholic perspective. First, first the lie that the Roman Catholicism is not a cult, which it is a cult. Um, but just another de denomination. And then some, uh, with some other different worship traditions. When Protestants bought into this, the next step was, quote, let's work together on the cultural issues that we can agree on, such as opposition on abortion and homosexuality. In the, main, in the meantime, a flurry of new Bible translations began to appear. So what they did is when they started coming over to the Catholic way of thinking, what they did say is they said, okay, let's, let's, let's not so much look at our differences, let's look, look at what we can agree on. Which at the beginning was homosexual issues, even though the Catholic Church is full of them, but on the surface they got to appear they're against them. In the beginning it was homosexual issues and um, the abortion issues. Because you'll see more, more often than not, Catholics standing out in front of abortion clinics more than Bible-believing Christians, which is really sad. Um... So, so that's what they, 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 what they did do is they got on common ground first. Then they, had, they all had their false Bible versions. And that was so 
If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Proverbs 11, verse 3. So it says, in the meantime, a flurry of new Bible translations began to appear, all based on the flawed Roman Catholic manuscripts. What Roman Catholic manuscripts are these? The Vatican the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticanus, which are the two main manuscripts that Westcott and Hort translated the revised version of 1881, which ultimately spawn all of the modern-day Bible translations. Okay? So, we've got that going. These have caused so much confusion that many churches no longer believe that we have a perfect Bible. For example, well, they don't have a perfect Bible because they're not even reading the right one. For example, some Bible co colleges are breaking affiliation with the Southern Baptist Convention because denominational leaders are requesting that schools teach a literal interpretation of the Bible. Now comes the move to include the worship of Mary. Remember, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It's, now, it's, now we're getting into worship of Mary. Some people have been trying to put on the feminine face on God by producing these inclusive Bibles eliminating many of the masculine references to God. Now, this is what the Mormons do at their root. They believe that there is a goddess, and I got into a conversation one day, one day with this guy, and I didn't even really realize it until I got into the conversation. I said, he said something about some, uh, I don't know, father, son, and then the wife of, of God the Father. I said, what are you talking about, the wife of God the Father? Oh, who's that? Oh, it's not permitted that we even mention her name. Now, I didn't know what religion this was, but at the Mormonism core belief system, they believe that there's this mother goddess deity that really is even greater than Father God. Yeah, they do. Now, um, it says, so some people have been trying to put a feminine face on God by producing inclusive Bibles, eliminating many of the masculine references to God. Catholicism found it easier to just add another deity, a female goddess. For centuries, Catholic tradition has elevated their Virgin Mary to a goddess stature. First, she was the mother of all mankind. Then, since Jesus was God and she was his mother, she picked up the title Mother of God. Oh, Millions of Catholics pray to her every day for all kinds of favors. Only a divinity could hear them and deal with them individually. No mere human has that ability. Since in the 1850s, the Pope decided that she was born without sin, even though the Bible clearly indicates she's not born without sin, she was immaculately conceived. In the 1950s, she was declared to have been assumed into heaven without corruption of the body. In other words, she was assumed into heaven, she was perfect. And again, this is all of man's thinking. None of this is biblically based. It's all, it's all lie from the stinking pit of hell. There is now a petition with over a million signatures before the Pope to declare her the Mediatrix, or the Co-Redemptrix co with Jesus. Now, the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, not two, which would be the Co-Redemptrix, meaning you, you don't get there through Mary and Jesus, it's just Jesus Christ. So just who is this Virgin Mary? The account of the lowly virgin in the Bible who bore our Savior bears little resemblance to this exalted being who gets a special pass to heaven. Who receives prayers, meditates with, this, with a stern God, and appears in thousands of apparitions all over the world. Author David Daniels, in his in-depth research, proves that this 
modern day goddess is none other than a spiritual reincarnation of the ancient Babylonian Semiramis. Now we have Semiramis who um, was um, married to Nimrod um, and then what happened is she's married to Nimrod, she had a kid, Nimrod died and because I believe Shem killed Nimrod yeah, cut him up into pieces. Um, and uh, the one piece that they couldn't find was like the phallus, the male genital organ. And and he cut this up into pieces, shemmed it, and sent it to all parts of, of this um, Babylonian world as a reminder to not do this. Occult system. They were deeply, she was a witch. Yeah. And they were deeply into the occult. This is real business. Yeah. And she ultimately got pregnant again and bore Tammuz, and this is where we get the mother goddess baby worship. This is where it first started, Semiramis and Tammuz from Nimrod. This is ancient Babylon. Okay? And this is where we get the mother, where we see Mary with baby Jesus. That's where it started. In that in that era, that 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 goddess baby worship started all the way back then. Okay, and so she ultimately ended up marrying Tammuz, which was her own kid, which is pretty disgusting, and I can't imagine a more disgusting thing than that. Just about, and this is where we get the whole modern day thing. And then T Tammuz was killed on his on in his fortieth year, and this is where we get the 40, 40 days of Lent, and it's just it's it's just satanic. Okay. So, um, in his new book, Babylonian Religion, Daniels traces hundreds of historical references to the goddess over the ages and around the world. His amazing conclusion is, one of Satan's major objects of idolatry is a goddess figure. All religions anywhere on the planet have a goddess at or near the center of their worship. This idolatry was started in Babylon shortly after the flood. When mankind, because see, if you're worshiping a female deity, you know that's that's diametrically opposed to any kind of worship of God the Father or Jesus, because they're male. They have that male persona. Um, when mankind was dispersed by the language change at Babel, each group carried the goddess concept and gave their female deity some other name. But they all had the common characteristics, so they are obviously a takeoff of the original. In other words, when they got all split up at the Tower of Babel, what ended up happening is those people still held on to their to their pagan belief systems, and they went to all parts of the earth. This is why we all have all these fake pagan religion systems that are all slightly different, because they all had their own take on their own religion. And now they only had their language, which, which they only understood. And so what happened is, is you've got the Chinese that, that went to China or whatever, and the Japanese, and, and some of them are Taoists, some of them are, are experienced, they're in Shintoism, some of them um, are Hindus, some of them are Buddhists, and this is the result of the original split at the Tower of Babel. We still see it to this day. But see, what we're seeing is we're going to be seeing a unification of all these religions into one, because the Bible predicted there was going to be a one world religion. The one world religion is going to be under the Catholic Church because Mary is appearing to all these other vast religions. Okay? But see, it's all based out of the same corrupt lump which started back at the Tower of Babel. So they all have that common bond together. And they all have the common bond of having a female goddess to worship. 
So that's why Mary is the one that's appearing to all these false religions. Because, see, they all have this commonality of, oh yes, we can identify with Mary because we have a goddess that we worship at the head of our religion. In, in Hinduism, it's Shiva, not Shiva, it's Kali. She's this devil goddess with six arms and, and, and she has a human head in one arm and a plate to catch the blood in the other. That's the main goddess they worship in Hinduism. Her dad is called Shiva. He's the god of destruction. Kali's the god of death. What a nice religion. This is Hinduism. Kali is one of the most, if not the most, popular um, deities of all of Hinduism. She's also just about the most powerful. Uh, we could go right down the line and talk about this, but I don't, I don't have all of the other female deities memorized in my head like I do Kali. So anyway, um, but see, I'm just going to read this again. When mankind was dispersed by the language change at Babel, each group carried the goddess concept in their, and gave their female deity some other name. Now, sometimes you hear her referred to as Isis. Sometimes you hear her referred to as uh, Semiramis. Uh, and it depends what time period and what culture you're talking about. Sometimes in, in the Catholic Church, she's referred to Mary and baby Jesus. In Babylonian times, she was referred to as Semiramis and Tammuz. Um, you've heard of her referred to as Diana. There's another way she was referred to as Hecate. Um, you've got all these different names for her. It's still the same devil goddess. But see, with so many different varying names and ways she's represented... When the one world religion of Antichrist is fully shown, it'll be such an easy transition for these people. Oh, well, the Catholic religion already had it all going on anyway, so we'll just all fall under the Catholic... You can bring all your stuff from Hinduism in under the Catholic religion. It's no big shake. You can bring all your spiritual... In fact, they want to bring it all in because they believe, and they're right in saying this, one of the reasons God split him up at the Tower of Babel was because he realized that the occult knowledge that this one sect had, had power. Now, it's not like God's up there afraid of this power, but there is power in witchcraft. So here's what he did. God came down and he saw all this going on and he said, we have to separate them because nothing will be prevented from them if we keep them together. In other words, we're created in God's image and if we're left to our own devices, we can do some really wicked stuff. Look at what happened with Satan and his fallen angels. Okay, So what God did in his infinite wisdom is he said, we're going to have to separate all these people until the time of the end. Daniel 12.4 says, Thou, O Daniel, seal up the sum until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now that's almost an exact quote. I may have got a couple words off. But he said, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. When? Until the time of the end. The time of the end, we're going to see the Tower of Babel being rebuilt. In fact, that's one of the most common themes of the New World Order. You'll see this Tower of Babel that they'll represent. They've done it in, in Olympic things and all kinds of other things where the Tower of Babel right now is being rebuilt because, see, all the nations are coming back together and they're bringing their occult knowledge with them. They all have a piece of the demonic, devil, occultic puzzle. Every religion has a piece you got Kabbalism, you got Hinduism, you got Buddhism, you got Catholicism, you got Shintoism, you got Taoism, you got all this other stuff. Kwanzaa. Thought I was going to leave out Kwanzaa, didn't you, Doug? Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Got crazy there for a second. Um, so you've got all these religions with a piece of the demonic puzzle. 
And they're all bringing this back. And what's the goal? To rebuild the Tower of Babel. Now another thing. What's separating all the cultures? What's been the separating factor for all the cultures? The same thing God made back then. That they have different languages. All that, all those barriers are coming down thanks to the internet, thanks to computers. You can actually go up on the internet right now and download what they call language packets. Okay? Chinese, whatever you want to do. And what it does is it converts. If you have something coming to you in Hinduism, it converts it to English right then, instantly. Boom! You don't got to worry about speaking the Hindu language. So see, this is making it much easier. And what's the common theme? Mary is appearing in apparitions all over the world, and this is going to be the main goddess figure. They may call her different names. She's going to come. She calls herself many different things. Sometimes she calls herself Mary. Sometimes she calls herself this or that. Witchcraft doesn't care how it gets you as long as it gets you because the devil's behind it. You're going to be able to call this deity anything you want it to. She's going to, yes, I am Callie. Yes, I am. So you're going to have a lot of this going on. And, and I just wanted to say all that to, un, to get you to understand this is where it's all leading. Okay, just like this thing I showed you this morning on um, the Nephilim, this is another grand part of the deception that's coming toward us that the Bible clearly predicted would happen, yet you never ever hear this information preached in churches. Ever. So, they all had the common characteristics. All these religions, they were obviously a takeoff from the original. That's why we've got goddess worship at every single, at the core of every single false religion in the planet. Why? Because it was all a takeoff of the original back in Babylon. It's just witchcraft repackaged. For example, the mother-child image of Semiramis and Tammuz is essentially the same as the Mary baby Jesus statues, and I've already mentioned that. Daniels uses solid documentation to prove that the modern Roman Catholic Virgin Mary is not the Mary of the Bible, but the Accumulation of a grand plan by Satan to seduce all the world's religions with a common female deity. Catholics, Muslims, Hindus, and now Protestants are all being brought together by the powerful demon posing as the mother of all nations. Now she's posing as the mother of all nations. Oh boy. Well, that covers everything pretty much. Jesus, remember, it's Mother Earth. Remember Mother Earth hugging? She's probably going to be tied in with that too. Jesus said that in the last days, even the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. Soul winners must stand firm on God's preserved words in the English King James Bible and speak boldly against this prostitute church seated on seven hills of the Vatican. The Bible said it was going to be seated on seven hills. There's only one, there's only one religious um, area where in the world where you have a city, basically within a city, the Vatican, which is considered its own city, seated on seven hills. Okay, that's going to be the capital. It's going to be an amalgamation. A, a, they're going to bring in all the false religions of the world, and that's going to probably be the world headquarters. Okay? Um, God says, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Well, let me tell you something, and this will go for anyone listening to this on the internet. If you're part of this one world church system that's going to be assimilated into the great whore, into the great beast, into this great Babylonian mystery religion, and, and chances are, if you're a 501c3 church that's reading a, a false Bible version, you are ripe for deception. Oh no, brother, that'll never happen to me. They'll have to come. Well, you know something? The longer you stay in it, the higher likelihood you're going to get sucked into it. You cannot 
put, you, you, you cannot hang around Satan and his kingdom and be a part of it. And if you're a 501c3 church reading a false Bible version, which would constitute 99% of all churches out there, at least 99%, if not more, don't tell me you're not going to get sucked up into this thing because the Bible said if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. The very fact that you're in that church still shows that you are that you are deceived to a certain extent. Now, I pray to God He bring you out of it. Okay? But, whatever you're participating in, if that is of a false foundation, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? How are you going to battle this when, when you yourself are deceived? When you yourself are in a church where the pastor is a hireling and he's not even called of God and he has no real love for the flock because he won't tell them the truth. He's in it for the money. He's teaching you a false Bible. And it's a 501c3 corporation. That's your church. It's a corporation. Where did Jesus ever say be a corporation? It's all about the money though. It's all about the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. You know the love of money is going to take more people to hell probably than just about anything else. That and pride. So anyway, I wanted to get into that today because I thought it was important that we understand uh, where, we're, where we're heading with all this junk. Um, I'm going to read, this is one thing I forgot to read next week, last week too. Um, there was a, uh, a thing that came out on um, the Avion Flu by a guy named Dr. McCollum. And he basically put up, now I'm doing this from a Christian standpoint, that's why I'm reading this today. I didn't send this out to my normal email list because they couldn't understand this. I have about 600 people on my email list right now, but most of them are not Christians. Okay, Some of them are, but most of them aren't. Because I have a health newsletter and I have a Christian newsletter. So, there's a guy that came out, he's heavily involved in the New Age, his name's Dr. McCola. And he's basically saying, ah, oh, avian flu's never going to happen, none of these plagues are ever going to come, it's all a big lie, just don't worry about it, just relax. It's all a lie. Okay. So, I'm going to read this to you. Recently I received an email from one of my newsletter recipients asking me if I had heard about Dr. McCola's new book on the avian flu, where he totally tries to convince the reader that it will never happen. But there are some parts of his views regarding avian flu I would, although there are some parts of, of his views I would agree with with Avion Flu, I would agree with. But Dr. McCullough has totally lost sight of the big picture, biblically speaking. And below I posted a rebuttal to his book. Now, he's going out of his way. This is a big deal for him. Oh, you got to get this book and, you know. It. Consider what I'm about to say. Yes, I read the information. Now, this is coming from me. In my opinion, Dr. McCullough is totally overlooking the Bible, the biblical precedent set in past history regarding potential pandemics of America. Although thoroughly documented in my presentation on avian flu, what I have cited, um, and to ignore these facts, this is kind of cut off, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to piece in the words here. What I have cited, and to ignore these facts, and to act as though avian flu will never happen, is a very dangerous proposition. Now, I cannot see into the future, and I cannot give a 100% guarantee that avian flu will happen. I pray to God that he would intervene and it doesn't happen. But, if ever the stage were ever set for a pandemic to take place in America, then it is set from the avian flu. Look at all the time, the effort, and the resources the global governments have devoted to this issue. All you would have to do is reference my DVD to, to, 
to uh, validate this because I went through a lot of trouble to, to validate the things I put on that DVD to show you that this is not my opinion. Okay? What Dr. McCullough is doing is extremely dangerous in that those that heed his advice will totally let down their guard regarding avian flu or any other pandemic for that matter. So see, maybe avian flu is not going to happen. I hope it doesn't. But you know something? If it ain't avian flu, it's going to be something else. And I'm going to prove it biblically. It's just a matter of time before a pandemic like the avian flu will happen. Just reference the Bible, where Jesus says regarding the times that we're living in, Matthew 24, 6-8, And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors, rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Well, isn't this the time we're, we're, we're living in and moving into? Well, Jesus said it was going to be that way. Doesn't that sound familiar? Wars and rumors of wars and, you know, famines and, I mean, all this horrific stuff going on in the world right now. Luke 21, 10 through 11 says, Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall be there from the heaven. Here we go again. Dr. McCullough is not a Christian and is involved with many New Age practices um, he participates in on his website. Although I have referred to his articles, I do so with apprehension as he is really off base on many issues because of his New Age mindset. Okay, you can't trust somebody that's in the New Age movement to get solid advice from. It makes my job a lot easier if I see somebody that's not a true born-again Christian giving me advice because I can view it through biblical glasses. Like I filter it through biblical glasses and say, oh, okay, I see his point of, I see where he's coming from. Maybe there's a kernel of truth in what he's saying. But you have to always filter things through the Bible. Now, how do you filter it through biblical glasses if you don't even know what the Bible says? Or what if you're reading a false version? How do you know then? Because the false version... The false version is a, is a version that's been leavened. And, and if it's been leavened, how do you really filter truth through something that's already been corrupted? Um, he has a high amount of great material, but as a Christian, it would be important to glean from his material with using biblical discernment. As I, and that's what my whole ministry is about. Let's use biblical discernment to look at these times the day and times we're living in, and discern it and see what it really means. Because we do not want to buy everything hook, line, and sinker in today's day and age. We're going to get totally down the wrong road. <clears throat> As I said, from a biblical standpoint, it's only a matter of time before the pestilences would start. Would Dr. Mercola have us discount these biblical facts and not err on the side of safety? In other words, what would he have us do? Just sit back and say, oh, whoop-de-doo, whatever, it's not going to ever happen. It's going to happen. Jesus said it was going to happen. Whether it, you call it, whether it ends up being the avian flu or something else, I know it's going to happen. It really seems that that is exactly what this man is doing and promoting. Proverbs 22, verse 3, and Proverbs 27, verse 12 says, quote, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Prudent man foresees the evil. He hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Rest assured that the evil is coming as the word of God predicted. See, that's my whole point of doing this whole tour from the Prophecy Club on the avian flu. If it's not the avian flu, it's something else. Prepare yourself for these things. Now, one other very important point to mention is that the, 
is that the more this evil regarding the avian flu is exposed, the less likely the plans to implement this introduction of avian flu will happen. Understand that too. Remember, darkness hates light. And if the avian flu pandemic never happens, then that will be the ultimate answer to my prayers. That's, part, that's a big part of the reason I did this tour. Because I figured if I went out there and I exposed this evil thing, maybe it won't happen. Now, ultimately, is something like this going to end up happening? Yes, because Jesus predicted it was going to happen. But if I, can, if I can do anything to fight evil, and if my DVD and my tour that I did across America has anything to do with the, with the New World Order backing off, even if it's backing off for six months, hey, it's at least some more time we've gotten nothing else, more time for people to get saved, more time for people to get right. Now, granted, I understand the world as, a, as, in, as in general is not moving in that direction. But, there are some people that will wake up to the truth. In fact, this was one of my main motivations for doing the tour. I knew that by exposing this evil plot, hopefully the plot will never be implemented. But as I have said, ultimately from a biblical standpoint, it's just a matter of time until the pestilence has arrived. So somebody come up, come up to me and say, oh yeah, Dr. Johnson, that avian flu thing really happened. You know something? If it doesn't happen, praise God. I don't want it to happen. That's why I did the tour in the first place. And to prepare people in the event it did. But I know ultimately it will come. So I wanted, to, I wanted you to kind of understand my perspective on that. You know, so, so you could kind of see where I was coming from there. Um, I, I think it's important. Now, if we go back to where we left off last week, I believe it was here, Romans 2, chapter 3. We're just going through the book of Romans. Chapter 3. Studying this book out. It's a very important book to study. Um, we start at verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there in circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. See, Jesus first came to the Jew. The Bible says to the Jew first and to the Greek. And then to the Greek. Okay, it does say that. It does say that in the Bible. Much so it says much in every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So what advantage hath the Jew? What profit is there in circumcision? Well, the the Bible says right here the main advantage is because originally they were committed the true religion of earth, the oracles of God, the true religion. Um, that was was really started. I guess you would have to go back to Abraham. In reality, if if you really think, I guess of where and and in in and it says, how was Abraham justified through faith? See, faith in the Bible is really the true religion of God. Okay, we can put whatever denominational label we want to try to put on it, but really, Bible believing Christianity was first committed to the Jew. Now, it changed after Jesus was here. Because through him came a better dispensation. Okay? A better covenant, it said. Verse 3. For what if some did not believe? 
Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Well, there was more than some that didn't believe of the Jews originally, okay? But, but, but just because they don't believe, does that make the faith of God without effect? No. So you can believe whatever you want. You can be as sincere as you want in every single way, shape, and form. But that doesn't change the fact that this Bible is the Word of God and it's not going to change. God said, I am God and I changeth not. Period. So no matter what your belief system is, it doesn't matter. You can be as sincere as the day is long. But most likely, your sincerity, you're going to be sincerely wrong and you're sincerely going to end up in hell if you don't change it. Again, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end of the ways of death. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 16, verse 2, it says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighed the spirits. Now, don't you think that would apply to religions too? Well, this religion, I'm clean in my own eyes. I feel good about myself. I'm working my way to nirvana. I'm working my way to heaven or whatever. You know? But it doesn't matter. The Lord weighed the spirits. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, Thou that mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? See, he's going to judge the world because they've, they've strayed from him ultimately. They've strayed from the word of God. And it's God's place to take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. God said that. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as be slanderously reported, as some have affirmed that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. See, that's what most people in most religions are doing. They're basically saying, let us do evil that good may come. Because false religion is false religion, and false religion is evil. So basically what they're saying is, let us do evil that good may come. How can a fountain yield both fresh and salt water? You can't do it, okay? But see, almost all religions are doing that very thing. They're trying to do evil that good may come. Woe unto them that call good evil and, and evil good. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. The Bible says that. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under the sun. All under sin. I'm sorry. Under sin. See, this... In this uh, dispensation, granted, the, the emphasis was much more on the Jew in the last dispensation. Were there other Jews, though, that still got saved under the Old Testament? Yes, there was. Look at Rahab the harlot, who's mentioned in the Hall of Fame. It's just, just one example, okay? The emphasis has shifted more to the Gentile now. The Bible says the, the um, blindness in part has happened to the Jew to the fullness of the Gentile come in. So we know the emphasis is more shifted on us. Okay, so it says that um, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. But see, in today's dispensation, listen, there's neither bond nor free, Jew nor Greek. We're all under sin. 
Okay? As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, For we are all together as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do together fade as doth a leaf. Okay? So, we know that. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all going out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Now, this would be really under the guise of false religion, I would say, also. We, we'd be looking at people that, that, are, that are trying to create their own religion to get themselves into heaven. Their throat is an open sepulcher. What's a sepulcher? A tomb. And their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of ass is in their list. Now, this is primarily through false religion whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Didn't Jesus call the Pharisees and the Sadducees whom he contended with vipers and serpents? He contended with them a lot worse than he did any harlot or any tax collector or any murderer. He went after the religious more than he did any... That's who, he, that's who we're in reference to here. Why Why is all this? Well, I think verse 18 answers it for us. Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. When you don't have fear of God, all these other things happen. That's why fear of God is so important. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. See, by the knowledge of the law, we know sin. So, by the knowledge of the law, we are all guilty before God. Okay? That's why we have to have a Savior to pay our sin debt, because we all are guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. Oh boy, don't tell this to a Messianic Jew. Oh me! As Pastor Furnish used to say. That's what they say in Kentucky. Oh me! Sorry. Um, I just can't get that little saying out of my head. guess I always wanted to live in Kentucky. I don't know. Um, it says, But by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Why? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So see, the law is not evil, but the Bible also says in the same breath, in this dispensation, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. How do we get justified? Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death, burial, resurrection. Through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Acts 16.31 Well, believing, if you really, really believe in something, there's going to be works following. The Bible says works following. It says that exact phrase, works following. But you're not saved through works. But there should be evidence of salvation in you. If you really believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we should see evidence of that conversion. But it's not through those works that you get saved. It's a byproduct of the conversion. You know what it is? It's fruit. Jesus said in, in John 15, it says, I am the vine. If the branch abideth not in the vine, you can do nothing apart from me. Okay, so if that's the case, we have to abide in the vine. Who is the vine? Jesus Christ. He identified himself in the vine. If we're abiding in the vine, guess what? If we are a branch, we're going to bear fruit. We're going to bear fruit. It's as simple as that. Let's see if I can find this real quick. 
There's another verse, we're, we're going to get to it in, um, in Romans, in this chapter, where it talks about um, we are wild olive branches grafted in to the vine. We're not the true olive branches, which were the Jews. But some of them, it says, have been broken off that we might be granted in. But then at the same breath, it says, boast not against the natural branches. Because you yourself can be taken away. Well, that sounds like I can lose my salvation. Well, call it whatever you want. Listen, all I'm saying is that when you get saved, there should be evidence of the salvation. There should be evidence of the conversion. There should be a continuing conviction within you to want to follow the Lord. It shouldn't be, well, I served the God for ten years and I put in my time. I'm just going to kick back and let go and live like the devil. If the Holy Spirit really lives inside you, which is what's supposed to happen when you truly get saved, why are you going to kick back and live the devil? And why in the world, how could you kick back and live like the devil and have no conviction of that sin if the Holy Spirit lives inside you? Because number one, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. You're going to have a conviction about the sin. You're going to have a conscience about it. And number two, the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. So that's another thing. If you kick back and your conscience has been sealed to hot iron and there's no chastisement on the person, how can the person be saved? Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Well, now hold on. If they depart from the faith, that means at one time they were in the faith. Hmm. Spirit speaketh expressly. This is 1 Timothy 4.1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Why? Why did they depart from the faith? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's why they departed. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. So somebody that departs from the faith have given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? Well, they're a hypocrite. They're a hypocrite. They, 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 they can look at the speck in the brother's eyes, but they don't see the beam in their own. Which was the context of judge not lest ye be judged. So they're doing all this. They speak lies and hypocrisy, and then they're having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Conscience has been seared with a hot iron. It's not a good sign. Not a good sign. The Bible says in Hebrews, it says, I am not like them that draw back unto perdition. Perdition means damnation. It says draw back unto perdition. I don't know, but I would rather err on the side of safety. Okay, now I'm not saying you, you, you get your salvation this week and you lose it the next and then you get it back. I'm not, no, no, I'm not teaching that. That's what charismatics teach. Okay? I'm just saying there needs to be evidence and it should be ongoing evidence. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. The finisher. It says run the race and that we need to keep we need to, if and if we faint not, it says we will we will not lose our reward. It says if we faint not, if what if we faint, could we lose our reward? Bible says that they were saved yet so as by fire. Some will be saved yet so as by fire in re, in reference to the judgment seat of Christ. So yes, I do think that some of these are still going to end up going to heaven, but they're going to be saved yet so as by fire. All of their works are going to be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. That's not the, really the way you want to get in heaven. Okay, that's getting in by the skin of your teeth. How that all... I, I can't sit here and be totally dogmatic about, well, he's going to heaven, he's not. I'm, but I, what I'm trying to give you is the broadest perspective I can give you. The broadest biblical perspective I can give you. So we can see this thing as the big picture. Okay? So then it says, okay, so... There shall no deeds of the law 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. You cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. Oh, well, a Messianic Jew can. No, they can't. No, they can't. That All our righteousness are as filthy rags. Then we get back to earning our way into heaven. Oh, well, we've got to... We, we, We've got to do this. We, 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 if we've got to do this, we've got to keep all of the the Sabbath feasts and all these other things. And, and even Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, "says I am Lord of the Sabbath." He said that. Okay. Does that mean that the law is sin? No, it doesn't mean that. Are the Ten Commandments bad? No, obviously, the Bible says, "For by the law is the knowledge of sin." So we, the. Here's the most important thing with everything that I just said. We need to keep proper perspective. And it's hard because it's so easy to go off on, on the deep end like the Messianic Jews have done. Or then we have the other people saying, well, bless God, we're under grace, I can just live like the devil. No, 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 no. We need to have a balance with this. Okay? God is a God of balance. You know how God's portrayed He has scales? Okay? What's, what's the good... Does God just like it to be like this? Or like this? He's a God of balance. Very important we have balance with all this. But now, the righteous... Okay, we go to verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Okay, so we have the righteousness of God, but it's without the law. What is that? That's Christ. That's the righteousness of, of God without the law is manifested. He actually manifested on this earth. He was here 33 years he manifested. Okay? being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, why would it say that? I believe it's because the Bible clearly predicted he was coming. He fulfilled, I believe, over 300 prophecies out of Old Testament. Jesus Christ. Well, wouldn't that be considered a witness? Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Well, the prophets were the ones that essentially wrote the New Testament. And what was in the Old Testament? The law. It was being witnessed. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all of them that believe. See, that just confirms what I just said. Unto all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, to me, I take comfort out of these verses. I don't want to be earning my way into heaven. If I think, if I think I'm, I'm going to earn my way to heaven, all I'm doing is earning my way into hell. Um... Now, sin. Here's just some some definitions of sin. Okay? Sin is transgression. An overstepping of the law. The divine boundary between good and evil. It's also defined as under the, under the term of iniquity. Which is an act inherently wrong. Whether expressly forbidden or not. It's also defined as error. Which would be a departure from right. Okay, now. You understand how much sin the normal church is in? Because even if they're the best person, oh, he's a wonderful person, do you know how much air the average Christian is living in? They're living in so much deception and air. Well, that's sin. Sin is missing the mark. That's another way you define it. Um, th that's the next definition. Missing the mark. A failure to meet divine standards. It's also defined as trespassing. An intrusion of self-will into the sphere of divine authority. It's also def de uh, defined as lawlessness or spiritual anarchy or unbelief. It's also considered sin. Sin originated with Satan, entered into the world through Adam, and was and is universal. Christ alone accepted 
Christ alone accepted. He incurs the, 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 the penalties of spiritual and physical death and has no remedy penalties of spiritual physical and has no remedy but in the sacrificial death of Christ. So, see, there's no other remedy for sin other than the sacrificial death of Christ. That's it. His shed blood. His death, burial, and resurrection. How is this availed, though? How, 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 is, how, is, our, how is our sin debt what is, the, what is the act we have to do in order to appropriate this salvation through Jesus Christ? Faith. Faith. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in thine heart. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now isn't it ironic that, that the heart being deceitful above all things and just really wicked, who can know it, is essential for salvation. But it is. I didn't make, it, I didn't make the, the rule book up. God did. Your heart doesn't always deceive you, obviously. I mean, it's not always deceiving you 24-7. But the Bible says it is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So, you confess it with your mouth and you believe it with your heart. That's how you got to get saved. Most people confess it with their mouth, but they're not really believing it in their heart. That's the problem. They've said the prayer, but they didn't believe it in their heart. For the scripture saith, Whoever believeth on me shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so we've got that. Um, sin may be summarized as threefold. One, an act, a violation or want of obedience to be revealed by the will of God. Or a state or absence of righteousness. A nature or an enmity, meaning a uh, enmity would be like war toward God. Um, there's a lot. That's a whole other study right there on sin. In fact, I've got the whole thing laid out right here. I'm not going to get into that right now. I want to keep going through Romans, um, but because that would take I don't know probably a couple weeks. Being justified freely. Okay, so we go to verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace. Whose grace? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you are saved by grace, through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.11. I'm starting to sound like Jack Van Empey. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> lost control there again. But I need to start talking about the Pope if I'm going to do that. What a wonderful, godly man he is. You look a little like Rick Sola. Alright. What about Jack Van Empey theme club here? I don't know. It's crazy. So anyway, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption. Well, what did Jesus Christ redeem? He redeemed our souls from the pit of hell. That's what He did. What does redemption mean? To deliver by paying a price. He redeemed us. Okay? Um... And just so you know, the metal that represents redemption is silver. Silver is, is always represented under redemption. Okay? So, there's a lot of different things that you can look at that silver thing, like Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. 
Um, and yet, actually, through that betrayal, he redeemed all mankind. Yet, it was silver that was given to actually betray him. Yet, he redeemed us in that very act, okay? Because that was where it all started, when he got betrayed to the priests. That's a whole other study there. So, um, okay, so, grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Whom God. Now, this would be in reference more to God the Father. Jesus Christ is God the Father's Son. Okay? Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. What is a propitiation? A propitiation is an atoning sacrifice. That's the actual definition of the word propitiation. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. His blood. Oh, we can't talk about that. That's slaughterhouse religion. Oh, me. Can't do that. No, no, no. That's that's too gory. Well, you know what? All these new bio, false Bible versions are taking these references to blood out. Blood. The blood of Jesus Christ is very, very, very important. Okay? When they slaughtered the lamb, they always... All these Old Testament sacrifice ceremonies always involve getting the blood. Why? Because the life is in the was in the blood. Okay? Through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. See, through the blood, the sins are remitted. What does remitted mean? Remitted means like canceled, as though they never were. The Bible says, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. I will cast your I will cast your sea, your sins into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. So that's that's another kind of reference to that whole thing. Um, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, whose righteousness, Jesus Christ, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. See, Jesus is gonna is is our justifier. He's our heavenly advocate, which means like our heavenly lawyer, before the throne of God. It says, He ever maketh intercession for the saints both day and night. The Bible also says, The devil is an accuser, as a war in light, seeking who may devour. And he also goes before the throne, and is an accuser of the brethren day and night. So, Jesus Christ, over a born-again believer, is our justifier. How are we justified? Through His shed blood on the cross. Okay? We're not justified because we're so wonderful. Primarily, we're justified through the atonement of Jesus Christ through the blood that He shed on the cross. That's how we get justified. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Always comes back to that. What are you going to boast about? What a 99% of all... No, 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 let's go a little further. What a 99.99% of all religions boast about. Well, look at me. I'm a good Buddhist. I'm a good Hindu. I'm a good Catholic. No, you're not. All our righteousness are is filthy rags. You're going straight to hell. And am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Most of the time you will. Most of the time you tell somebody the truth, you're going to become their enemy. So where's boasting then? It is excluded. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. Boast it in your works will get you straight to hell. 
I'm basically a good person. I don't think God would do that. Are you willing to risk your eternal soul on what you think, on what your heart is telling you, knowing that the heart is deceitful above all things? Most people are. Sure, because they want their sin. It is excluded. So then, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but the law of faith. The law of faith is what we're under now. That's the dispensation we're under now. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Oh, tell that to a Messianic Jew. Oh no, you've got to refer to, to, to Jesus as Yeshua. You've got to refer, refer to God the Father as, as Yahweh. Or, um, you got, and then you can't ever write his name fully out. You got to abbreviate everything. You got to keep all the Sabbath feasts. You got to do this. You got to dress up like a Jew now. You got to have your Torah scrolls. You got to do all this junk. That's crazy. That's nuts. You're going to hell if you're doing that. And you think you're being justified. And some of the main, most, most deceived people I have ever, ever, ever been around are Messianic Jews. And Charismatics. And the Messianic Jews and Charismatics love each other. In fact, a lot of Charismatics convert over to Messianic Judaism. In fact, I know, I have a patient right now who is a rabbi, and so is his wife. She's a rabbi too. That's biblical. They're both rabbis. And they're totally, totally, totally bound up in this false Judaic religion. God never called him to it. I don't believe he ever, ever, ever would have called him to it. But that's what happens with the Messianic Jews. And a lot of those Messianic Jews start out as charismatic. Charismatics. You know, another, th another big trend is charismatic Catholics. The charismatics meeting with the Catholics, they have some common ground. Now, when I was in the uh, Assemblies of God, I went to a church called Kingsway Christian Center. Biggest Biggest building in, Le in uh, Cape Coral. And I was the head of one of the Bible studies. I had, I don't know, 25, 30 people showed up to a once-a-week Bible study. Kind of like now, except back then I was really messed up. I was moving toward the truth, but I wasn't there yet. And I remember there was a charismatic Catholic that came to my Bible study. And, and he would be in total agreement with me, but when it, when it, when it finally got to the point where I, I said something about the Catholics, oh, he got real offended. And, and I, I asked him, I said, how could you be offended when everything else that I've said you've agreed with, and yet this all goes hand in, hand in glove with this truth that we're talking about? Because even back then I knew Catholics were apostate. That was it for him. He was done. Fine. Don't let the door hit you. You know? Uh, but that's just a very good example of people willing to embrace a certain amount of truth, but once you cross the line, even though they can't biblically refute you, now if he could biblically refute me, great. He never did. He never gave me one shred of evidence to biblically refute anything. It's, it's, it's devils. You're dealing with devils. You'll get to a certain level and there's a devil inhabiting that person. Let's say it's, it's in regard to false religion, because false religion devils are one of the main devils there are that we contend with. We battle not against flesh and blood, remember. That devil's had influence over that person their whole life. Possibly they've been brought up in generational um, Catholicism, which really is no different than generational witchcraft. That devil's very, 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 very strong in them. The longer it stays, the longer you give Satan foothold in your life, the, the harder it is to get rid of that thing. 
So when you finally get to a truth where that devil says, oh no, and it'll rear its ugly head. You'll see it in people when you deal with them, when you try to lead them to the Lord. You'll be talking to them and, and everything will be great and then all of a sudden you'll get to some truth that would lead them to salvation or truth and all of a sudden the countenance changes. All of a sudden they become a different person. What is that? The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, wickedness, rulers of wickedness in high places. It's that devil manifesting. Now, an extreme example of this would be if you were to do like uh, deliverance or exorcism or when Jesus went out and he cast out demons on people. They could be totally normal one minute, but when he had started addressing the demons, they might throw themselves down and foam at the mouth or thought. So I have biblical precedents to set this up. The devils typically will not manifest themselves unless they're put in a corner, which is what you're doing when you try to present them truth. Why? Because the devils hate truth. They want to live in darkness and they want to keep their human host in darkness. So this is, this is how this all works from a spiritual realm. So then we go on, it says that, that a man is justified by faith without, without the deeds of the law. He is the God, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Now this whole junk about, oh, well let's elevate the Jew up, they, they, got, they got a special get out of jail free pass to go to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. They got to get saved the same way we do. Okay? But there's a lot of ministries that are out there right now that, that will actually teach salvation, but yet they'll give the Jews a special pass. Oh no, they're God's chosen. No, they're not. Anyone, here's, here's the deal with that. The Bible says that, that when we are saved, that we are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. Heirs of the promise? Well, anyone that actually gets saved, truly biblically saved, whether they be Jew or Greek, bond or free, those are the chosen ones. Okay? Yes. Is the emphasis going to go back to the Jew during the tribulation? Absolutely. Blindness in part has happened to the Jew. When? Until the fullness of the Gentile come in. So, we know that that emphasis is going to go back to them. Yes, there's going to be 144,000 Jews. They're going to be virgins of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to go around, they're going to preach, they're going to do great mighty things. They're going to be sealed in the foreheads, okay? They're going to be protected. But two-thirds of the Jews are going to die during the tribulation, according to Malachi. So, it's not like the Jews are going to have a cakewalk and all of a sudden... It says, but it says all of Israel is going to be saved. All of them that can be saved will be saved. There's probably going to be about a third of the Jews that end up getting saved. I, I, I think that's probably biblically correct. Um, they're going to look upon whom they have pierced, it said. And they're going to realize what they've done. Could that have anything to do with this blindness being lifted from them? Blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. So, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Faith in who? Just, we've said this. Jesus Christ. Through faith in his blood. Through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. Believing on Lord Jesus Christ doesn't imply, well, yeah, I believe he's a good guy. He came in the earth 2,000 years ago. I'm saved. No, believing implies following and doing. Works. Works following. But not works to get there. Not works to get saved. So, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, we're both going to be justified the same way 
through faith. Just like Father Abraham. And if you be Christ, then you be Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. See, Jesus came to bring a better covenant, but he actually confirmed the first covenant through his blood. Justification by faith honors the law. But we're not saved through the law. Um, justification and righteousness are inseparably united in Scripture by the fact that the same word is used for both. The same word in the, in the uh, Greek is diakios, which in the Greek means just, righteous, and diakio means to justify. So they're, they're very much connected. The righteous, righteousness and justification are actually a derivative of the same word. But justification originates in grace, in the grace of God. Okay? Um, I just want to see if there's any other points here. Okay, the sinner establishes the law in its right use and honor by confessing his guilt of the law. Because we are, I mean, if we're judged by the law, we're all guilty, right? So, the sinner's actually justified by confessing his guilt of the law. Had I not known the law, I had not known sin, okay? And acknowledging that by it, if he were judged by that, he would be condemned. Yeah, you're right, God, you got it right. You got it right to send me to hell. Christ, on the sinner's behalf, then establishes the law by enduring the death penalty, which he already did endure. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. So that's, that's how we get through all that. What, what time is it? 12.30? Oh, man. That went quick. I feel like Melvin Sisson kind of preaching like a wild man, as he used to say. Anyway, um... Reset, said that. <laughs> um, so chapter 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaineth to flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory. See, that's what everybody wants. They want it so bad to be justified by works. Do you realize that's the main reason people are going to hell in a way? I mean, you got, I know you could boil that down to a lot of other things, but this is... This is the main tenet of why they're going to hell. Because they so so desire in their heart to be justified by works. It's so important to them they're going to go to hell for it. I don't want to be justified by works. For if Abraham were justified by works, he have whereof the glory. See, he'd have something to glory if he were justified by works. Sure. But not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. What does that imply? Faith. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's what I want. That's what we all should strive for. We just believe God. And that's counted unto him for righteousness by faith. Not to him that worketh is the reward. Now, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if you're going to work your way to heaven, if you think you're going to work your way to heaven... Your reward is not going to be based on grace, the grace of God. And that's the only way we can get the reward. No, it's not going to be based on that. It's going to be based on debt. 
Because all our righteousness are as filthy rags. So here's what's going to happen. You're standing at the great white throne judgment, and here's the scale. And here's your filthy rags stacked up. Okay, and here's here's what you know you 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 deserve. And what you deserve is always going to outweigh your filthy rags. Your filthy rags are not going to tip the scale and have you justified before God. It's not going to happen. Okay? You're going to get hell. That's, that's what's going to happen if, if you do that. If that's what you're basing everything on. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Oh, that's just too easy. I can't accept that. Sorry if you can't accept that. That's the way it is. Isn't that better? Isn't that a better covenant as the New Testament talks about? Christ is a better covenant. Um, it's just better. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. God just imputes it. He gives it. He imputes it to you. Without works. Saying, Blessed are, are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. <laughs> Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The only way that's going to happen is through Jesus Christ. That's it. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? The circumcision always in reference to the Jews. Okay, just so you know that. Whenever it says circumcision, that's Jews. Cometh this blessedness under, then under the circumcision only? Or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Faith. It always comes back to faith. How was it reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Think about this. Circumcision wasn't even instituted until um, Moses. Well, Moses was way after Abraham. Hundreds of years. We didn't even have circumcision. We didn't even have the law. That's when the law came. In Moses' day. Well, what about all those hundred years before Moses? You didn't even have the law. God did it on purpose to make it that obvious for us. For, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision a seal of righteousness of faith of the faith which he had yet which he had yet been uncircumcised okay now that's that's a tad bit confusing the way it's read he received the sign of circumcision the sign of circumcision abraham a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had yet been uncircumcised he, even though he was uncircumcised he had received the seal of the righteousness of faith which was the sign of circumcision. It's like circumcision of the heart. How did he attain that? Through faith. Um, that he might be the father of all them that believe. They 
though they be not circumcised, that righteousness not might be imputed unto them also. See, it has nothing to do with physical circumcision. Back then in the Old Testament, that was a sign or a token that yes, you it was it was the works following the faith. Okay, that's what circumcision was all about. But that they, but that he, who's he, Abraham, might be the father of all them that believe. If you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs of the promised, if you be Christ. So we are Abraham's seed. We are heirs of the promise, if we be Christ. Though they, though they be not circumcised, that would be like Gentiles, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Jesus came to save everyone, both Jew and Greek, ultimately. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet, which he had been yet uncircumcised. He wasn't even circumcised, and yet he was the father of those who all, of all those who will believe. God did it on purpose. The father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who walk in the steps that the faith of our father Abraham. Okay, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. See, the Bible just keeps hammering this point home. Hammering it over. I mean, a lot of this seems redundant. Everything in the Word of God, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. So this is in there for a reason. Evidently, it's pretty important for them to keep beating this point home over and over and over. They're saying it in different ways, but they keep saying the same thing, kind of. Okay? Is everybody following so far? Um, so... For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. So in other words, if you think you're a Jew who's keeping the law, if you think that makes you an heir, then faith is made void. Because it really doesn't take any faith to keep the... I mean, you can, you can, you're putting all your faith in the law. Oh, I'm a Jew, I'm going to keep the law. That's what you're putting your faith in. It's not in Jesus Christ and His shed blood. It's still in your works. Because that's all works-based. Faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where there is no for where no law is, there is no transgression. Now, the reason they're saying that is because without the law you had not known sin. Okay, so that's why it says where there's no law is there's no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, which would be the Jews, but to them also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. If ye be Christ, ye be Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. How many times have you ever heard this preached on in the church? Have you ever heard in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church them keep hammering the point home, if you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise? No, because typically those churches elevate the Jew to a different level 
And they don't even want to put us lowly people who are Christians on that level. That's one of the reasons. I think there's more than that. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. He said that to Abraham. Father of many nations. We're part of that. We're part of that. We're, we are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. Praise God. Through faith, though. It's all goes through faith. Before him, whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. Quickeneth. What does that mean? That means to revive and make alive again. That's what the word quickeneth means. Who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. What does that mean? That means that when we were dead in trespasses, He quickened us through the Word of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, through His shed blood, through His death, burial, resurrection. That is how we have to get saved. Okay? We were quickened. We were made alive. And then, calleth those things which be not as though they were. Although we were not saved up until that point, now we are. Now we are. Who against hope believed in hope? That he might be the father of many nations. Why does it say against hope? Because, because God had said, okay, you're going to have this kid, and you know, it gets to be like he's near 100, and you've got to really have a lot of hope to believe that when you're 100, you're going to conceive a kid. Okay? Who against hope, believed in hope, he still had faith, that he might be the father of many nations, because God said you were going to be the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Why? Because he was 100 years old. When he was 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, this took a lot of faith. Hope. Faith. It always comes back to that. Everything. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. The Bible says, in Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Call upon me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let me just check that reference real quick. I just want to make sure I made, said that right. Call upon me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Why can't we do that? I do it. He said, call upon me and answer me, or call upon me and I will answer thee, show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Well, the Bible also says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So there's conditions to this prayer, too. Then he says, in verse 27, chapter 32, it says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No! There's nothing! He created the universe! I don't have the mindset that there's anything too hard for him. Well, how do you get to that point, Brother John? If you come to me as a little child, little child has total faith. That's how you got to do it. Does that mean I think I'm the purveyor of all faith? And I'm the, I'm, no, I, I'm not saying I don't have a lot of room for improvement. But if there is anything inside me that is that way, it's because I go to God as a little child. And I, I, and I tell him, I'm like, God, I know I can't do anything apart from you. I know I'm helpless apart from you. I know I'm nothing apart from you. And this is the way I want it to be. I really do want it to be that way. Because I know that I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. I also know, greater is he that is in me, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. Call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You see, when you start quoting these scriptures in your head, it builds faith. 
how do we get the faith? We, 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 we memorize the Word of God, we quote Scripture, we meditate on it, we pray about it, and then our faith grows because it's like a muscle. And unless you work the muscle, it's not going to get stronger. One way to build your spiritual muscles is, is, to, is to think on these things. Think on Scripture. Quote Scripture in your head. You see something doubtful coming into your path of existence? Quote a Scripture to contradict it. It's also how you deal with the devil, because that's how Satan dealt with the devil in the wilderness. So these are just things you can do. And it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He just said, faith. So cool. I love this. I mean, to me, this is so liberating. This is great. It's just faith. It's not, oh, I've got to go to the Himalayas and meditate on the fifth Buddha and contemplate my navel and spit marbles out of my mouth in a lotus position. No, it's not about any of that junk. It's about faith. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. See, Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God, the creator of the universe, he said that he was fully persuaded, Abraham, that what God had promised to him, he was able to perform. If God created the universe, what big deal is it for him, for him to have Sarah at the age of 90 and, and Abraham at the age of 100 conceiving a child and burying him? What does that compare to creating the universe? That's how I always go back to that. I always think, if something things seem, seems too hard for God, just think about the universe. Think about that. Compare it to that. And then and then it becomes, oh, okay, that's not that big of a deal in comparison to the creation of the universe. What does that do? Build your faith. Build your faith. So it's, it's easy that way. Um, and therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. It was imputed. It was just given to him because of righteousness. For righteousness. Now, it is was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also, that's why we have the Word of God, so we can look into this book and it will build our faith. It wasn't just for Abraham. This wasn't just for Abraham's. It was meant for all of our, all the seed of Abraham that will become the children of God. Join heirs with Christ. The Bible says that we are join heirs with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Right now it says it. It says we're join heirs with Christ. It says we're kings and priests. I was going to wear my crown today, but I forgot my scepter and my orb. Sorry. Anyway, now it, was, now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. Okay, it was imputed. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. We'll, we get the same thing. It's imputed to us also. We're no different who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I, I, man, I don't know. Romans is an awesome book. It's pretty obvious by reading this what the true faith is. I mean, it, to me, it's just no-brainer obvious. Yet, this teaching is almost totally absent from the modern-day churches today. And it's so simple. And easy. It's it's not hard. So anyway, that's that's all I've got for today. And um, I'll, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer here.
Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this time that You've given us. And Lord God, I, I, uh, I pray, Lord God, that, that You would forgive us for any and all sins, God, that we have committed in any way, shape, and form, Lord God. If there's anything that separates us from, from Thee, Lord God, that You would remove it, God. I pray, God, that You would cleanse us of secret sins and presumptuous sins, that they would not have dominion over us, God, that You would use us, the people in this room, Lord, and the body of Christ, to do many great and mighty exploits for You, Lord. I pray, God, that your name be glorified through us and that many would be saved as a result of what you're going to do through the true remnant, the true body of Christ. And I do pray, God, that you would bring more people into the remnant, God, that there would be more light that would go out and expose darkness, God. That the wicked would be turned back and that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God for they would wisely consider of your doing and that the righteous would be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright heart would glory, God, in thee. Not based on their own works, but, God, that we would glory in Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. I pray, Lord God, that, that you give us the kind of faith that we need in the name of Jesus Christ in order to go into the times that we're moving into. I pray, Lord God, you equip us to go into this battle, God, and that you equip us mightily. We praise you, Lord God. We thank you for all your goodness and your mercy, for all that you've done, God, for even the time that you've let us live in, God. I pray, God, for everyone in this room, Lord God, and anyone that's listening to this, that you would strengthen us, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge, Lord God. But also, God, the strength, the courage to use that knowledge and understanding and wisdom. For, Lord God, if you just give us these things and we don't have the strength to use it, what good is it? You've said in your word, to whom much is given, much is required. So, Lord, I just pray, God, that we use it honorably and wisely and mightily, Lord God, for your glory. And we love you, Lord God, and we thank you for all these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.